Welcome to another exciting word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Tonight, God wants you to be confident, to be strong, to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, we know it is verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believe it, to the Jew first, also to the Gentile, also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Do you know that one of the things the devil wants you to be is ashamed? The devil wants to shame you because when you feel ashamed, you shut up. When you feel ashamed, you don't want to get out in public. When you feel ashamed, you don't want to tell other people something because, you know, you, you just feel that guilt and that shame and that sorrow and you're, you're, you're you know, you know. But that's one of the things that God said Jesus would do for us. You know, he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53 says. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. He bore our shame. The next time somebody says, shame on you, if you are a born-again believer, if you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then the next time somebody says, shame on you, say, nope, shame on Jesus. Not shame on me, shame on Him. God took my shame and put it on Him. I am no longer ashamed. I'm, 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 I'm no longer in a place where I feel condemned, where I feel like I'm less than, because that will rob you of power. Feeling ashamed, feeling ashamed of your sin, feeling ashamed of your failures, feeling ashamed of the places, the shame of all the things that you have done in life that other people may or may not know about, may find out about. When you give those things to Jesus Christ, do you know that He takes your shame? You are no longer shamed. But if the devil can make you feel ashamed, he can shut you up. If he can make you feel like you've got to hide... He can keep you from letting your light shine. The power of the devil is deception. That's the only tool he has, is to trick you into believing a lie. That's the only power he has over you. He cannot defeat you by conquest. He can only defeat you by consent. You have to consent to his deception you have to consent to his narrative about you in order for you you know to not walk in victory because jesus christ has given you victory over sin death hell and the grave and the devil is just trying to he'll do anything to keep you quiet he'll do anything to rob you of the power of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's why the, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed to stand up and talk about the saving, forgiving, loving, caring relationship I have with Jesus Christ because God has forgiven me. I can stand up and declare with all confidence, with all boldness, he said. He said, and you don't cast away your boldness. Do not cast away your confidence. That word means the ability to speak up and speak out. You know, have, have you ever been uh, trying to give someone some good advice and they turn the tables on you and say, but, well, you did this. Have you ever had somebody do that? Yeah, but you did this. Yeah, but you, you know, well, what about you? You know, that, you know, that is so contrary Whenever we are trying to help people, whenever we are trying to encourage people, when we are trying to, to, to bring some reasonable measure of hopeful truth to them so that they could uh, step out of uh, you know, a, 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 a dark place into a light place, and that shaming spirit, that critical, condemning, shaming spirit. Now, I know you're not that way, okay? Uh, you know, if, 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 you know, if this happens to you, and I pray it never is you, okay, realize that shame is a work of the devil. Don't be ashamed. Shame is what the devil uses to shut you up, and Jesus bore our shame, and he carried our sorrows. I am very sorry for some things I have done, but I'm not going to live in sorrow. He bore my sorrow. He bore my shame. Well, that's going to figure in here because, you see, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle that we fight every day against the hordes of hell and the deceptive practices of the devil and this world system in trying to minimize our witness and marginalize us and trying to uh, get us to shut up and to feel like for some reason we haven't done good is, an, is a ploy of the devil. And tonight we're going to take the word of God and, 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 and we're going to, uh, to look at this. Uh, specifically, uh, first I want to point out to you a, 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 a short verse or two in Romans chapter 4. Then we're going to be going to Isaiah 54. And ultimately, we'll end up in Psalms 85, I believe, before we finish this evening, okay? And so, uh, in Romans, the fourth chapter, uh, this is the chapter, uh, well, first of all, Romans is the heart of the Bible. Okay? It is just the heart. If you want to know the doctrines of the church about justification or salvation or redemption or sanctification, if you want to know how God is able to treat us uh, as good as he does and why he does, just saturate yourself in the book of Romans. Romans is the heart of the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in, in the book of Romans... The Apostle Paul writing here, and he's, uh, uh, he's telling us about Abraham. What made Abraham special to God? What made Abraham right with God? And he starts out in Romans chapter 4 by, by basically uh, asking a question, you know, uh, what, what, what have we found out in observing Abraham? And one of the things he tells us in verse 3, 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now righteousness is, 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 a, is, a, is a religious word. But basically it means the right to stand in God's presence unashamed and you know, welcomed with boldness and confidence that you have a right to stand in God's presence. But it's not because you have lived a perfect life. It is not because you have given money. It's not because you have joined a church. It's not because you have helped the poor or the, or the, or the widow. It's not because you have prayed every day. It's not because you have read the Bible. You have a right to stand in God's presence. This is what Abraham showed us. We have a right standing with God because we trust Him. When we believe, Abraham believed God, and God said that your faith, your trust in me, you trusted me. You trusted me with your life. You trusted me with your future. You trusted me with things that you didn't know. You, didn't, you, you weren't even sure where you were going whenever I asked you to follow me. And you went out to a place that you had never even seen before because you trusted me. And when you put your trust in me, I count that as a righteousness that you trust me beyond what you can see, beyond what you can know, beyond what you feel, beyond what you can account, beyond anything that you can prove. That's righteousness. When we believe God, when we, in, in this instance, as the Apostle Paul will, will, will talk about in the whole book of Romans, when we trust God with our lives, with our souls, with our eternity, when we trust God through Jesus Christ, that makes us righteous. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is, it is a righteousness that we are given by God. It's not a righteousness that we own. It's not our own righteousness. It's a righteousness that we are given. And then down in verse 7, uh, I want to dispel the rumor right now that, 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 that the devil is trying to create the narrative that he has been working hard through centuries trying to create a narrative. I want to begin to dispel that. Verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. It doesn't say, blessed are those who never committed any sin. It doesn't say, blessed are those who, 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 who only sinned a little. No, it says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. It doesn't say, blessed is the man who has no sin. Uh, follow me on this, just step by step, as we just look at what God is trying to tell us versus what society may be trying to prove or say or make us feel 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. What does that mean? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord is not going to charge you for your sin. Now, by the way, critics would say this. You know, critics are very contentious, you know. They're, 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 they, they like to contend with things. That's why they're critics, because they're critical of everything, okay? And do you know some people do their best? In fact, there's a term for it. I, 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 I don't remember the name for this, but there is a name for the act of trying to disprove a truth by taking it to the nth degree so that, so that you can, you know, so that there is no truth, you know? I mean, if God can do anything, can he make a rock so big that he can't move it? You know, take, taking truth to the, you know, hypothetical ends of the earth, trying to disprove truth, is a very critical adventure. It's a very worrisome, worrisome and tiresome. It, 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 it makes God, uh, if possible, he, he tires of stuff like that. We are not on an adventure to try to disprove truth. Here, the reality is, is that when, uh, now th this is not saying you have a license to sin. Critics would say, well, I guess you can just do anything then. Oh, do you, do you think you can just do anything, live any way you want to live? No. Who, what born-again believer wants to live in sin? What born-again believer wants to be wicked or evil? That's just... You know, that's something that the world might imagine about the grace of God. That the grace of God, that if we preach grace, this is what the Apostle Paul was up against constantly. He was trying to preach grace, and, and, and those around him were trying to preach law. But it's not the law that, that, that transforms us into the image of God. It's the grace of God. And it begins by us believing Him. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not charge that man for his sin i'd say that's a pretty big blessing i would like to be the person that is blessed i'd like to be blessed with, with with this gift if i could be blessed with anything in eternity i would like to be blessed with not having to pay for my sin how about you i'd like to be blessed with not having to be charged with my sin wouldn't that be a pretty good deal I think I'll take that one. I think that one would trump every other one, that I would not have to pay for anything uh, that, that I did that was contrary to the will of God. You know, uh, now, now, is that a license to go and do anything in the world I want to do because God's not going to? No. A person that believes that most likely needs to get born again. I would doubt the salvation. I would doubt my salvation if that's how I felt. Okay, you would do good to recheck yourself. If you think that salvation is a license to sin. But you also need to check your doctrine. If you think that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover sin. If the blood of Jesus Christ is weaker than sin. Then you know you might be in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And you, you better die on the day that you're right. You're serving a schizophrenic God. That's just not the blood of Christ. It's not a license sin, and no one who is born again should ever fall into the category 
of, of, of believing that the grace of God, you know, uh, the, the Bible clearly tells, the Apostle Paul clearly tells us that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. God's got more grace than you've got sin. And then he followed up. Well, then should we sin? So that, so should we sin more so that grace could really abound? God forbid, he said. God forbid that someone imagine that salvation is an open invitation to do anything in the world you want to. But let me tell you, if you are born again, if you have asked Jesus Christ in sincerity to come into your heart and your life and to be your Lord and be your Savior, if you have applied to the eternal blood of Christ to wash your soul, you're saved. And God will not impute your sin unto you. You will not have to pay for that. That's the message that God is giving us. And yet the devil is doing his best to confuse that message. He's doing his best to bring shame upon you. And I'm just, tonight, I'm not just talking about you. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm, I, I, it, it does, you know, this is about you. But what I'm talking about is the church of Jesus Christ. I'm specifically aiming this at the church of the living God on planet earth today and the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ, the born again, gathered together, called out and called together body of believers in the earth and in heaven. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the church. You are the church individually. You're members of the church. But tonight, I want to dispel the rumor, the demonic rumor, the narrative, the deceptive lies that the church is weak, that the church has not done her job, that the church has, is somehow responsible for the evil that's in the world. You, you are not responsible for the world and the evil that is in it. It is not your responsibility. And let me tell you, other than letting your light shine and other than living a righteous life and, 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 and other than praying to God for his intervention, there's nothing you can do when a wicked person desires to do evil. You can petition God, you can, you, you can pray, you can intercede, and those things are powerful. You can let your light shine, you can give advice, you can give counsel, but if a wicked and evil person desires and designs to do wicked and evil things, I'm not talking about somebody who, who makes mistake and sins or chooses you know, a, a, a wrong choice. I'm talking about the truly evil wickedness of this world system. It's not the fault of the church. And if the world can succeed, if Satan can succeed in causing shame to be accepted by the church, he can shut the church up. He can minimize and marginalize the church. But I'm telling you, God wants us to stand up with all confidence and be bold as a church and as, as, as individuals and stand up for our righteousness. It's not our fault. We have not opened up the floodgates of hell. Jesus himself could not, did not stop the evil and the wickedness in his day when he was preaching. He was crucified by evil and wicked world systems. They exist. 
One day God will deal with them fully and finally. And we should stand our ground. But how can we stand our ground when the church is tempted? When church members are tempted? When prophets in the church, supposed prophets, are saying that the church has not done her job, is somehow responsible for the wickedness and the evil in this world, we are not. We are responsible for the righteousness in this world. We are responsible for the light in this world. We are not responsible for the darkness. And everywhere we shine our light and the darkness flees, praise God, we have a victory. But let me tell you, until God does his final, you know, fulfills his final will against Satan, against that old dragon, against the wicked and evil world system, as long as God allows it, it will be on this earth. And we will have to contend with it. But we didn't start it. Am I making any sense? I, I'm... I'm I am a voice, perhaps even one crying in the wilderness, saying, stop saying bad things about the church. What do you want? You want what do prophets want? Do they want us to be so ashamed? Do they think that, 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 that we should just shut up because we haven't done a good job? We've done a real good job. The church of the living God in the last 2,000 years has done a great job. We have saturated the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is everyone perfect? No. But as I said Sunday, you don't want to be found disrespecting the bride of Christ. You start talking about you know, somebody's bride, and, and, and Jesus showed up to, to, to Saul on the road to Damascus and said, Hey, boy, why are you persecuting me? That's enough of that. Isaiah 54. Let's, let's, let's again look at the word you know, prophetic of the times that we live in prophetic of this you know uh, of of this mess, uh, messianic age of the time that Jesus would come you know uh, we we are not held captive by the law today we are not held captive by the picture of an old testament angry god that is bent on punishing sinners. Grace allowed God to separate sin from sinners and to birth His church, His body, His bride, His family. And God is proud of us, loves us, is coming again for us. In, in, in Isaiah 54, uh, you know, please find time to read the whole thing. But let, let's, let's look at verse 9 for the sake of, 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 our, uh, of, of, of our time together this evening. Verse 9. Listen, listen to what uh, the prophet Isaiah says. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. What does that mean? Like the waters of Noah. Y'all remember the flood? Whenever the world was so wicked that God saved Noah, you know, the eighth person. You know, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It's like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn, 
that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Now this is prophetic of a messianic time. That God would count like the covenant that he gave Noah. He gave Noah a rainbow, a covenant said, every time you see this, be reminded of the covenant that I have with you that I will never again destroy the earth by water. And this is, he, he said, this is, this is as strong, this is like unto the covenant that I made with Noah. Uh, and, and in that, uh, uh, that, 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 that I would, you know, the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you or nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Thank God for the mercy of God on us. You know, uh, uh, mercy in the, in, in, in the King James Version is, 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 is mentioned like 273 times in 261 different verses. Mercy, mercy, mercy. You know, uh, today Pastor Ken uh, sent me, he and I were just talking about this today and in passing as, as, as we were on our way to a, to a funeral in Buna and back and, and uh, we were just talking and later on I, I got your text uh, like 250 times just in the Old Testament, 100, let's see, no, 26 times I think mentioned in, in just Psalms, just one Psalms, Psalms 136. The mercy of God, mercy of God, it endures forever, mercy of God. God was waiting on a time. God was waiting, and he was waiting through the evil and the wickedness of this world, waiting on a light to shine, waiting on a time when he could show his mercy because sin would be dealt with in the blood of a perfect lamb and all those who would step into Christ by faith receive him would be like Abraham and would be they would be counted as right standing you have right standing with God because we are in this wonderful season, this wonderful age of mercy that the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins and covers our shames so that even if we were to fall we would not be utterly cast down for the Lord would uphold us with his right hand so that none of our steps would slide that's the prophetic word from you know from 3,000 years ago here mercy look in verse 13 all your children shall be taught of the Lord you know here we're looking at a time of, 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 of the church, a time of the, of, the, of the season of mercy, of the grace. We are in a grace period. We're in the period of grace. We're in the, in, in the ultimate covenant of Abraham. Galatians tells us that, that you know, Jesus was cursed for us so that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles by faith. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, we come under that ultimate uh, 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 hope of God in the covenant of Abraham. But it's built on better promises and upon the blood of Jesus Christ. 
All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. For it, sh uh, 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 excuse me, you shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Whenever we read the Word of God, there, there are often many applications. Of course, we know that the Word of God reproduces. First the blade, the Bible says, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. What does that mean? Jesus repeated it. The Word of God is like a seed that reproduces 30, 60, and 100-fold. It has multiple revelations it's like the good the acceptable and the perfect will of god it's like the outer court the inner court and the holy of holies you know there, there are so many applications to this word reproducing so that when we see a word it has a a direct application to the people that it is written to in the time that it is written and it means something very specific to them then that same word whenever God anoints it and takes it off the page so that it's no longer just a, 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 a an incorporated word that God gave someone else when the Holy Spirit brings light and life to the Word of God, it reproduces in that inner court experience in our life. It, it, it becomes something for us. Only God can do that. You can't just go through the Bible and cherry-pick words that you want to, to be real in your life. You know, you can understand God, but you can't just go through and just pick out, you know, this one and this one. This one's going to be mine. This one's going to be mine. And, and, you know, I mean, uh, you know, no word of God is void of power, but, but, uh, but God is the one that empowers the Word. And so more than just, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, in any disrespect for faith and confession, I confess the word. But I confess words that God has made real to me, that God has spoken to me. God can take the words off the page and give them to you. You want to be careful playing Bible roulette or, or pulling things out of a promise box because some scriptures aren't all that encouraging, you know. And so, uh, but... God is illuminating scriptures for us as we go through the word. He pulls them out. He highlights them. And he makes them alive on the inside of us. That the word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword. And it will pierce to the dividing asunder the soul and spirit, the joints and the mar. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's how you know you're getting something from the Holy Spirit. And we should go to the Word every day asking God to take, to take this Word and make it alive in us. And that's what He's doing today. This was written to a people in a day, but it's also written so that when God illuminates it during the church age, and then there, uh, it, 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 will, it, will, it will have a, uh, a living meaning a living application but then also there is an ultimate application for every word of God there's an initial and then there's a, a, a rhema and then there is an ultimate 
uh, uh, fulfillment and application. And so here we are in a church age, and this word is meant for the church age. He says this uh, in verse 14 again, In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble. What shall surely assemble? Well, fear and terror and worry and oppression. It's, it's, it's going to gather together. But he says, but not, uh, it's surely assembled, but not because of me. God is not the one trying to confuse you, condemn you, criticize you. God is not the one trying to make you fear. He's, 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 he's not trying to oppress us. Uh, you know, I wish I could just, you know, keep it as simple as saying that, that, that God's not unhappy with the church and its progress. Could we do more? Could we be better? Everyone could. But that's a far cry from thinking that God is sitting on his throne about to throw a lightning bolt into the church. Ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. Okay. Whoever assembles against you, he says, shall fall for your sake. This is a word to the church. Whoever gathers together against the church, from Genesis to Revelation, what other story does God tell? Whoever gathers together against the church shall fall. Who else is God speaking to here? Who else is he aiming his word at? Whoever gathers together against his family. Well, you know, Deuteronomy says they'll come out against you one way, they'll flee before you seven ways. Make it the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. You'll be blessed coming in and blessed going out. And a lot of people just take that without any realization of the responsibility that it also incurs. But the reality is, that's how God feels about us. God loves you. Jesus loves the church. Jesus is for the church. Jesus is championing the church. Jesus is trying to encourage the church. He's not trying to discourage the church. He's trying to encourage the church. You know, and throughout the centuries and throughout the New Testament, the church was never perfect. There were people in there that were doing a lot of things, preaching the gospel for personal gain. All throughout the New Testament, you can read it, they were dividing up into groups. But that did not stop God from loving the church and using the church to take the gospel into all the world. Because here we are today because of the church. And you see a Supreme Court of the United States considering Roe v. Wade. And you're trying to imagine that somehow that, 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 the, that the world is falling in darkness. Putting things back into the hands of, of our democratic leadership is a good thing. A wonderful thing. Behold, he says. Listen to what God said in verse 16. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. Now let me ask you a question. Who created the spoiler to destroy? Yeah, God did. This is, this is his business. The Bible says clearly, God says, I created evil for the day of judgment. Well, I, I, I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know exactly what it means, but I do know it's not my fault. I do know it's not your fault. 
Listen, trouble in the workplace, trouble at school, you know, be a light shining in darkness, but don't take the blame for the trouble. The church does not need to take the blame for the wickedness that's in the world. We certainly don't need one of our own standing up and condemning and criticizing us because somehow we haven't done enough. Come on. Turn off that microphone and go out there and do it yourself then. you got to say that with a smile. As a pastor, I want to set you in a place where you are confident about your witness, where you're encouraged about what, what, what the church is doing around the world. Listen, I, 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 I travel the world and have my, my, have my finger on the pulse of, of wonderful, loving, caring men and women and boys and girls who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior all over this world. And they are giving their lives to preach the gospel and to meet needs. And, 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 and they're working hard and, 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 and serving the Lord all over the world in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of evil, in the midst of darkness. And people are being born again. People just like the Apostle Paul. You know, if, if, if God had, had, had wanted to you know, step on anybody, he could have stepped on Saul of Tarsus. But he didn't. He wanted him saved. He wanted him filled with the Holy Spirit. He wanted him to become a minister. He wanted him to tell people his testimony for the rest of his life. And that's what God wants from every evil and wicked person that we meet. And we, as the church, can reach out like a light. No weapon, verse 17 says. This is written, you know, to, to, prophetically to an age beyond this prophet's life this is a messianic prophecy that is for our day no weapon formed against you shall prosper and listen every tongue which rises against you in judgment you say ain't true why because this is the heritage. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. You're right with God. Your righteousness is from Him. And you need to stand in that righteousness and say, I am not receiving the shame. I'm not receiving the condemnation. I'm not receiving the criticism trying to say that the church is weak and the church hadn't done her job. That's not the truth. I condemn those words that are spoken over me and I decide that that curse is not going to take root because my righteousness is of Him and I have an inheritance in Christ. I have a righteousness in Him, says the Lord God Almighty. Wow. Well, hey, let me jump over really quickly to Psalms 85 and give you a couple of verses, and we'll conclude this. I love the Psalms. Do you know, do you, do you know who wrote Psalms 85? Well, you probably do because it's probably up on the top if you read in your Bible. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you a, um, um, a story out of Numbers 16. Out of Numbers chapter 16, there was a group of people that were anti-Moses. Their name was Korah, Dathan, and Byram. And they didn't like Moses. They spoke against Moses. They did, you know, they, they, they rebelled against him. And, 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 and uh, basically, it ends up 
that God got upset and opened up the earth and swallowed them up. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Korah, the Bible says, and he's referred to several times, swallowed up Korah and all of his followers. Wow. Well, do you know not everybody in Korah's family felt like Korah did? Because you would think that that would be the end of Korah. K-O-R-A-H. You would think that would be the end of Korah. And yet, for 900 more years, Korah's sons and Korah's descendants served in the temple, in the tabernacles of God. They served as doorkeepers. They served as gatekeepers. They served in the house of the Lord. Now, out of the 150 psalms that are written, David only wrote 73 of them that we know for sure. Interesting, huh? The rest of the psalms, some were written by Moses, and some, diff, diff, a lot of different people wrote it. It's basically a hymnal. It was a hymnal, the church hymnal. Okay? And so, you know, some many, many years later, you know, and, and some of the psalms, we don't know who wrote them. And, 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 and we don't know why some of them were written. You know, we know Psalms 51 was written because of David's adultery and because he murdered Bathsheba's husband. We know Psalms 34 was written because David acted like an idiot in front of Abimelech. We know that, I mean, that we, we know why some Psalms were written. We know why Moses wrote some of his Psalms. We know, you know, uh, but 73, roughly half of the Psalms were written by David. Uh, this particular Psalms, is one of the 11 psalms that Korah's sons wrote. Interesting, huh? Now, Korah's sons knew that their daddy had really upset God, and the earth had opened up and swallowed them. And yet, they continued serving in the house of the Lord. In fact, they, they also wrote Psalms 84, which says in verse 10, for, uh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand, uh, you know, uh, 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 basically elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Uh, interesting, because they were doorkeepers in the house of God. That's, I, I thought it's interesting. But listen to what Korah, uh, uh, the sons of Korah wrote. Let's look in Psalms 85. We'll, we'll, we'll look at verse 2. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins. Selah. Stop and think about that. I think that's kind of interesting coming from the family that it came from. That you, you listen, you, you have, you know, forgiven. Look, look at verse 3. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. I love this, that, that God, God has turned. You know, in this day, in our day, this is something that God made real to me. He spoke this to me perhaps, perhaps 17 or 18 years ago. He said this to me, I am not mad anymore. He said this to me very plainly, and he took me to a plethora of scriptures. This is one of them to show me that he had turned his anger. It became a prophetic word to me personally that God said, I am not mad anymore. He said, I was mad, but I took my anger and I nailed it on a tree. Talking about his son, Jesus. He said, and I'm not mad anymore. And that set me free because I was concerned that every now and then I was making God mad at me or perhaps he was mad at, you know, at, at, you know uh, I don't serve an angry God. God's not angry anymore. 
He's not angry. One day he will deal with sin. God loves us, though. He's just, he's turned from the fierceness of his anger. Look in verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. I love that. We're right with God. That means that we can have peace with God. And mercy and truth have met together. I, 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 you know, we could go on and on, but suffice it to say tonight that my heart to you tonight is to tell you that God is not angry with the church. He's not mad at the church. He wants to encourage the church, not shame the church. And if you have a habit of shaming the church, stop it. Become an encouragement. Because we are the only plan God has. God, we're the only one He wants. There's no plan B. We're, we're the best He has. And He's happy with us. Thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.